When Aviva was in grade five, she imagined what life would be like if she were a madman. That's right, a madman. And after thinking about it for a while, she wrote a poem. If I were a madman, I'd eat all your hair. I'd eat every pair of your underwear. I'd eat your truck. I'd eat your heart. I'd eat your feet and all your parts. (laughs) I'd eat your mouth. I'd eat your brain. And then I'd be myself again. Thank you. That's Aviva reading some of her early poetry. I'm Dan Meisner, and this... Yellowknife, this is grown-ups read things they wrote as kids. How are you doing? This is a show where we go back in time to remember the good, the bad, and the awkward parts of growing up. This time, recorded live in Yellowknife Northwest Territories, we have a steamy shower scene, a 1980s political thriller, and the story of an almost first time. This stuff is weird, it is wonderful, and sometimes it can shed light on who we are today. So think about who you were when you were a kid, and stick around. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. When you're a teenager, you have to learn to deal with a lot of conflicting feelings, especially when it comes to relationships. There's curiosity and confusion, not to mention new urges and desires. Our next reader, Kimberly, read from the diary she kept when she was 16. And at the time, she was feeling a jumble of conflicting emotions about a guy named Jordan. A quick heads up, Kimberly's diary does acknowledge the existence of sex, There's your heads up. Here's Kimberly reading a diary entry that includes her first taste of Catholic guilt. Please welcome to our stage, Kimberly. November 3rd, 1997. Today I feel a large amount of guilt, so I may as well get it out. Jordan and I have been having a very strange relationship slash friendship thing. And since October 25th, 1997, at 2.40 p.m., I have become so confused. One day we're friends going for coffee. The next, we're taking a shower together. (laughs) Yep, strange, isn't it? It started out half-jokingly, like we were just kidding. And then, it escal- <laughs> and then it escalated into a more serious matter. Two virgins, standing face-to-face, shaking, nervous, <laughs> and anxious for wanting what's going to happen to, well, happen. <laughs> Kyle and Ramey left to go to Latitudes, and Jordan said he'd wait behind while I took a shower. <laughs> Dear Lord knows how afraid I was. (laughs) I mean, 
I took a big risk, exposing my body to only Jordan, and never showed myself to anyone else except the mirror in my entire 16 years. I thought getting my nose pierced on October 10 was something special. (laughs) For being 16. We stepped into the bathroom, awkward, curious, yet like two newborn baby fawns. Exploring the ground on our weak legs. I was shaking, and so was he. I could tell. I never thought it would be like this. And here I drew a picture of a bathtub, and I said, I'll never see this the same way again. (laughs) I thought I could go through with it without any qualms or fears, without any emotion. Uh, no. I began to wonder and think later about what I got myself into, or had I at all. (laughs) Was this all a dream? No. His touch was real. So was his horniness, and boy, did it show. I was so scared to peek because it was the first time I'd ever seen a real one before. (laughs) It was scary. Anyway, back to being serious. (laughs) We locked the door. I got cool, warm reassurances to go along with my endless rambling about how nervous I was. He lifted my shirt off. It took forever to unhook my bra, to which I squeezed my eyes shut to blind myself from his expression and reaction to seeing my breasts. They sag, they sag, I said. (laughs) But he thought they were perfect. I told him I absolutely had to keep my blue underwear on, so he agreed. (laughs) I hasted to jump into the shower first so that I could adjust the water temperature. I heard him taking off his underclothes. Slowly, he stepped into the tub. We kissed, holding each other as close as possible and letting the water graze our pure naked bodies. (laughs) I kept shaking. (laughs) Every time I got near him, his erect penis touched me. (laughs) It all seemed like a blur. Lasted at least 10 minutes, and then I had to stop, for suddenly my senses clicked in and asked me what the hell I thought I was doing. (laughs) So I had to say about three times that I, I think we should stop and that I'm too scared, and eventually it was over. We dried ourselves and got dressed. I felt shameful, not dirty, but ashamed that I'd gone so far and not realized it until later that I'm not quite ready to be so open. But I learned from it, and it was a very good experience. I wouldn't have done this with anyone else but him. Truth. (laughs) I did this with another virgin. A man, pure so far. (laughs) We did not have sex at all. So there, it wasn't so bad. (laughs) It wasn't so bad, but I feel so guilty. (laughs) Thank you. After the show, Kimberly called in to reflect on who she was at 16. I was so torn between wanting to explore uncharted territory and needing to appease, you know, my religious mom and old school dad. Uh, their biggest expectation of me as their only daughter was to keep my virginity. So. <laughs> number one priority. At that age, I felt so preoccupied with doing everything the right way. I was so afraid of screwing up 
Um, so this was such a new event for me. So uh, as with all my other big life firsts, you know, I really write detailed journal entries in case I ever lost my memory or something like that. I wanted to remember my history and have a record of it that it was so good. It would bring me right back. And from looking over this again, I, I think I was really angsty and <laughs> romantic. And <laughs> it's weird to see how you changed over the years. I asked Kimberly what she would say if she could go back in time and give herself some advice about sex and relationships. I'd tell her, girl, you could be Beyonce or you could do magic tricks or you could stay a virgin until you're 21 and you still won't please your parents. <laughs> so trust your intuition, screw up a little bit, seek your own approval, you know, repeat, relax and enjoy. Our next reader, Joe, brought along two short stories that she wrote back in the 1970s when she was 10. At that age, Joe loved to write just for fun. And as it turns out, she still does a lot of writing, but it's a different kind of writing than when she was 10. Uh, since that time, I've earned two graduate degrees, and in my day job, I write government policy reports. I. <laughs> I think my writing style hasn't changed much and makes about the same amount of sense, so here goes. <clears throat> okay. Doing an errand. One day, my mom wanted me to go down to St. Catharines to get a basket of new clothes at the Penn Centre. That day, I had $20 for lunch and clothes. I got on the bus, and they said that there was only one bus going today. When I finished shopping, I had just missed the bus, so... I phoned my mom, and she said she couldn't come and pick me up. I went to the pet shop and bought a St. Bernard and a leash. <laughs> then I rode it home. <clears throat> okay, my second story. Aren't, it was entitled, Aren't You Glad You Used Dial? One rotten afternoon in the deep depths of the Dead Sea, Oscar Octopus was thinking what he should do. All of a sudden, groovy Candy Crab appeared with Cindy's shrimp. Howdy, girls, replied Oscar Octopus. Howdy, said the girls together. I'm going with Teddy Tuna to the fish prom, said groovy Candy Crab. Well, I'm going to the fish prom with Scotty Starfish, said Cindy Shrimp. Oscar spoke up and replied, can you girls find me someone to go with to the prom? Cindy said, how about Melinda Mermaid? She's cute, and besides, she'll probably like you. Her long golden hair shines in the moonlight, and she doesn't have dandruff. <laughs> besides, she uses Crest, not McLean's, and her close-up smile is refreshing. All right, I'll ask her. Bye, bye. That night, Melinda Mermaid forgot to use her Listerine, and that's what made Oscar Octopus flip over her. The end. If there's one thing I learned by listening to Joe, it's that there is no story that can't be punched up a little with some product placement. power of the presidency is often thought to reside within 
Why doesn't he just speak to us as he has in the past when we've faced troubles or tragedies? Others of you, I guess, were thinking, what's he doing? Frustrating as the waiting has been, I felt it was imp- In 1987, the Reagan administration was under investigation for facilitating the sale of arms to Iran. It was known as the Iran-Contra affair. And at the time, Rajiv was in grade seven. After he learned about the scandal in school, Rajiv wrote a song about it to the tune of Rockabye Baby. President Reagan in the White House. Scandals flies, he feels like a louse. When the commission, that's Iran-Contra, finds his fault, down will come Ronnie, Republicans and all. But that wasn't the only thing Rajiv brought to our Yellowknife show. He also brought a short piece of fiction. And to say that Rajiv was prescient back in 1987... That's an understatement, because the short story he brought was a political thriller that indirectly references Donald Trump. Uh, It's funny, because I I dug this up when I was at home, uh, because I remember the Make America Great Again, which is Donald Trump's slogan. I remember that. It's like, why do I remember that? It's like, oh, it appears in a short story I wrote in 1987, (laughs) Uh, which is a plot. It's pretty much the combination of Canadian bacon and an inverted Red Dawn. The Dictator, March 5th, 1987. The hatch on the lead tank opened up. A man in his 40s, apparently a colonel, screamed into his amplifier, Brothers and sisters of Canada, join the great union of America for your own protection or face the consequences. I couldn't believe it, but the United States of America was threatening an all-out warfare. Everyone remained silent as the tank slowly proceeded to Ottawa. Every Canadian knew that President Cole was crazy, but we never knew he would go this far. He promised to make America great again and to create a new empire. He was very charismatic and swayed the public in the 1988 election. Okay, a bit early. (laughs) Canada was unprepared for war since we never expected an invasion from the South. Now that same country would be conquering us in a matter of hours. Days passed. American troops were quickly occupying our country. The UN had to be mobilized on short notice, but most countries abstained from sending forces as they were either allied with the U.S. or feared its reprisals. Those that sent forces were, this is the fun part, the Soviet Union, China, Cuba, Libya, New Persia, which Iran had won the war with Iraq, East Germany, and the free states of Africa because South Africa was liberated. The USA and UNUFIC, which is the United Nations Emergency Force in Canada, worked out a treaty within two weeks as the U.S. Army was recalled to deal with an uprising in home. In America, a coup was about to take place. The public finally realized that Cole was mad. He fled to a mansion on an island in the Pacific. The army searched for him, but they concluded that his boat had capsized and he had drowned. So the last dictator of the century was finally deposed. That's it. Rajiv, ladies and gentlemen. In 1995, Quebec held a referendum to decide whether it should become an independent country or remain part of Canada. And that year, Shannon was 17. In the days leading up to the Quebec referendum, Shannon took a bus ride from Waterloo to Montreal to be part of an anti-separation rally. And she kept a journal about it, and we're going to hear some selections from that. Please welcome to our stage, Shannon. 
So one little bit of context we need before this is uh, the bus trip that I took, I took with two friends, Dave and Justin, and uh, there, were a, there were a bunch of buses leaving Waterloo to go, but we couldn't get a seat on any. So my dad drove us to where all the buses were leaving and somehow managed to convince the bus that the Wilfrid Laurier University was sending that we were university students and therefore should be allowed on the bus. So we completely sweet-talked slash snuck our way onto this bus. So uh, this is part of the journal that the three of us kept while we were there. Friday, October 27, 1995, 12.15 a.m. We got on a bus. We are illegal bus aliens. My dad has finally left. Thank the Lord, there is a God. I hope I don't get lost. 1.15 a.m. The buses are leaving and my dad is still here. 2.40 a.m. I had to use the bathroom at the back. Note to everyone, Avoid these at all costs. <laughs> Justin is sleeping. The cool old guy thinks we're in university. Yesterday, someone thought I was in grade nine, so I am moving up in the world. <laughs> 3.33 a.m. Washroom occupied, a poem by Dave and Shannon. Dark is the bus as we travel through the night. Yet the red beacon will be our guiding light. It tells us when the lavatory is in use. We hope the door will not come ajar. We're traveling to Montreal from cities near and far. We will all need to use this hole, so please be kind. Rewind. Dave says be careful if you pee standing up. That is the end. There is no more. So please remember to use our friend, washroom occupied. 11.31 a.m. We're now in Montreal. Dave is being mean to me. I think he is a separatist incognito. <laughs> Just tricking, but he is being mean. We are going to the rally! 3.15 p.m. Well, we're back on the bus to go home. What happened? It was amazing. The atmosphere, the people, the $5 flags. It was wicked. There were about 150,000 people there. It was amazing. But now we're back on the bus to restart our seven-hour journey home. It's been a blast. 11.15 p.m. I was thinking about what I'll say to everyone when they ask about my trip. So many things have happened. I wouldn't know where to begin. This journal will help, but there's so much that has not been chronicled in my book like my French being ridiculed, meeting up with people I haven't seen since grade eight, and the feeling I got at the rally. How can you describe to someone who wasn't there what it feels like to be in the streets of a city with 149,999 other people all <laughs> cheering for national unity? Electric, amazing, gratifying? Well, they're all great words, but words can't even begin to describe what I have been through. You have to be there to understand it, and am I ever glad I was. Shannon, thank you.
Earlier in the show, we heard from Kimberly, who, as a teenager, felt pretty conflicted about love, sex, and relationships, particularly the physical side of things. And she wasn't the only one. Our next reader, Maureen, read a few diary entries written when she was 15 and contemplating losing her virginity. It probably goes without saying, but yes, Maureen does acknowledge the existence of sex in her diary. Live on stage in Yellowknife, here's Maureen. Monday, February the 5th. Wow, it seems like my whole view on life has changed in one night, which it has. Hillary and Al had sex for the first time on Saturday. I'm really happy for her. (laughs) (laughs) Hillary loved it. It really makes me consider sex. (laughs) Last Friday, after Ryan and I finished making out, I told him that I think I'm falling in love with him, something that I've never said or heard before. (laughs) Tonight at the club, when we were behind the shed, (laughs) he told me that what I said to him on Friday really meant a lot to him. This Friday, before the semi, a dance, we're celebrating Valentine's Day together. I'm thinking about us and sex. (laughs) I just feel so comfortable around him. I love him, I really do. I've told him that after he told me first. I talked about it with him today for the first time, and we've decided that we're not ready to have sex. Ryan thinks that sex is just a physical act, underlined physical. But what we're going to do this Friday is make love. (laughs) Both of us will be losing our virginity together. People say that teenagers don't know what love really is. (laughs) Obviously, they've never felt the way I do. I'm excited, but nervous? This is a big deal. We're renting a room in Leslie's condo after her Sweet 16 semi. This Thursday, I'm going with Hillary and Al to the health station to get birth control pills. I don't think I'm gonna have sex without a condom, except of course when I'm married. But it's just extra protection. I'll keep you posted. This is like three days later. I've got birth control pills now. <laughs> this is so weird. It's, <laughs> it's almost like it's too set up. We already have the room, the condoms, the pills, etc. <laughs> As usual, I'll probably have to be the first one to start things. <laughs> I just want him to sweep me off my feet someday, to take charge at least once. I want him to... Oh, God, listen to me. I'll shut up now. (laughs) The point is, I want Ryan and I want to make love. (laughs) I'll talk to you later. Wish me luck. (laughs) That was on leap day. This is three weeks later. Exhale. I'm still a virgin. (laughs) A single virgin. If memory prevails, then you'll know what happened 
because I really don't feel like getting into it. I broke up with Ryan because A, I had very strong feelings for Jeff. Therefore, stopped loving Ryan. And B, I was having second thoughts about our entire relationship in general. Now I see Ryan for the loser he really is. He never talks. He's always the one at the party who sits in the corner all depressed, just waiting for attention. He's an asshole. Plain and simple. Thank you. Today, Maureen has kids of her own. They're young now, but I asked her how she plans to talk to her kids about sex when the time comes. Ultimately, I want my kids to be healthy physically and mentally, uh, which includes how they manage themselves and their relationships with others. They don't need to be quite as much of a planner as their mom is and was, although I suspect one of my kids already traps me in the planning department. <laughs> Uh, But I'd expect them to make healthy choices for themselves and for any potential partners. That is Grown Ups Read Things They Wrote as Kids. Our show was recorded live at the Black Knight Pub in Yellowknife Northwest Territories and produced by Jenna Meisner. Our music is by Poddington Bear and Lullatone. Olivia Nashmi is our intern. If all of this sounds like fun, why not be part of a live Grown Ups Read Things They Wrote As Kids event? We are working on a bunch of upcoming live shows, and if you would like a heads up about when we are coming to your town, join the newsletter. You can sign up at our website, grownupsreadthingstheywroteaskids.com. That's also where you'll find past episodes and photos of all the readers at our Yellowknife event. One more time, that's grownupsreadthingstheywroteaskids.com. I'm Dan Meisner. Thanks for listening. Listening.